Welcome all. My name is Tom Kent and I'll be sharing with you the message of this week's lesson, the New Covenant Sanctuary. And uh, just bear with me. I seem to be losing my voice a little bit, but I'm really excited about this message because ultimately it really gives light to the ministry of Christ and what he is doing in our behalf. I just want to have a prayer and then we'll jump straight into the message. Father in heaven, Lord, I just want to come before you because I know that within me dwells no good thing. And Father, I know that my words and my thoughts can't. They just can't make this message powerful. It has to be by your spirit. And so, Lord, I just want to surrender to you. I want to ask forgiveness of my own sins and realize, Lord, that I have fallen far short of your glory. And so, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. And, Lord, I pray just that your spirit of truth will lead us into the truth now. In Jesus' name, amen. The New Covenant Sanctuary. Uh, I won't be following strictly uh, the lesson as it is revealed through the different pages and the different days. I'm not simply going to be speaking back to you the same things that you can read yourself in, in the lesson. But I'll be sharing this message using some of the main points in the lesson, but also sharing it in a way that I've seen it to be simple and clear and understandable. First of all, I just want to share that the message of the sanctuary was something that I didn't see as interesting. I actually saw it as something boring when I was growing up. I mean, that's a real shame because there's so much significance and meaning and beauty in this message. And it's my prayer that today we'll just see that. So when we talk about the sanctuary and I guess the new covenant sanctuary, what we're talking about is, yes, what what took place in the sanctuary back in in Old Testament times, right? Where there was, you had the the courtyard where you would find the altar of sacrifice. You had the laver of water. Then you had the tabernacle itself where you would go into the holy place and you would find the table of showbread. You would find the seven branch candlestick and you would have also the altar of incense. And then going into the, the most holy place, you would have, I guess, just the Ark of the Covenant with the law of God, the golden pot of manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, right, with the mercy seat on top. We're talking about this, sure, but we're talking about what all these things pointed to and the significance that, that these things have for us today. You may have read about the sanctuary, you may have studied about the sanctuary, and maybe you are still wondering, how is this significant to my life today? In Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8, it says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. I find this such a beautiful text because it shows who God really is in light of the sanctuary message. When humanity fell through disobedience and transgression, God is not a God who casts them off and turns them away, so to speak, and just goes and does his own thing distantly up in the heavens somewhere. The Bible says here that God is intimately interested in his people, and so much so that he wants to find a way where he can ultimately have his people reconciled back to him. And this is the purpose of the sanctuary. He wants to dwell with his people, but to do this, they had to make a sanctuary. There had to be a process. And this sanctuary really just points to the message of salvation, the plan of redemption, and ultimately what Christ is doing in our behalf right now, even so. Another verse which I find so interesting that really connects that point uh, that we just made there is John chapter 1 and verse 14. Now in John chapter 1 and verse 14, what we find is the words of John that say that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now this is talking about Christ who came down and became a man in our behalf. 
but it says that he dwelt among us. But in the Greek, it simply says that he tabernacled or he's pitched his tent with us. And this is giving us the idea of sanctuary language here, which I think is really cool. But more than this, we find John himself using the sanctuary as a lens to, to study scripture. And I think that's interesting. And I think it should be something that we should practice as well. When he says in, in John chapter one and verse 29, behold, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, Christ's ministry on earth. We can find it in the Old Testament sanctuary and we can have these lessons in the Old Testament sanctuary, which help us to understand the significance of it, um, of what Christ did in our behalf. So let's just um, take some time to, to look at these lessons. In Leviticus chapter four, and five, what you find is this this description of what what was required of the sinner when he would transgress against the Lord. So the sinner would take a lamb or a bullock or a goat. They would take a sacrifice. They would take a substitute. They would take this lamb. We'll use the lamb for significance sake. And they would lead it to the sanctuary. Now, you can imagine everyone would be watching and they could see this person, okay, this person's committed sin and he would go and it, it would be it would be quite hard for this person to be walking through the camp with this lamb. They go into the sanctuary here. But what I find would be even harder is this next process. The sinner, as it says in Leviticus 4.33 and Leviticus 5 and verse 5, they would lay their hands upon this lamb. And when they would lay their hands upon the lamb, uh, they would confess their sin. And when they would confess their sin, it was symbolically transferring their sin to this substitute. And then the substitute had to die. So it wasn't anyone else killing the substitute. It was the sinner himself who would sacrifice this lamb, who would kill it. And he would have to do it with his own hands. And surely that would give an image to his mind of how much his sin has cost. And then what would happen is the priest would catch the blood and the priest would go into the holy place, not the most holy place, just the holy place. And he would sprinkle seven times. Uh, he would sprinkle this blood before the veil and on the golden horns of the altar. And that would be uh, symbolically transferring that sin, which uh, was in the blood. It would transfer it into the sanctuary. So this is what you have. You have the sinner transferring their sin to this substitute, the lamb, and then the lamb dying in behalf in behalf of this sinner and when it was when it died the sin was in the blood and that sin was then transferred into the sanctuary so you, here you have this method of transferring the sin from the sinner to the sanctuary and uh, what you find is that let's actually go there Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 20 says something which I think is is beautiful and, and is really the message that we find uh, in the gospel of Christ Leviticus chapter 4 and verse 20, it says this, So the priest shall make atonement for them, and they will be forgiven. So when the priest would take the blood in, he would make atonement for them, and the sinner would be forgiven. I find that really cool. I just think, man, that's, this really does all point to Christ when we start to unpack it. So what we have is in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4, we have this interesting verse. It says, For the blood of bulls and goats, it's impossible for that blood to, to take away sin. And ultimately where we're directed to is the same verse that we quoted just before, John chapter 1 and verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so this whole idea of having a lamb as a substitute, it all pointed to Christ is our substitute. And we can come to him. We can confess our sin upon him. And, and as it says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, The Lord laid the iniquity of us all upon him. And then he 
He was killed for us. He died. He was sacrificed for us. And what we find is that when Christ finished his earthly ministry, we could call it his courtyard ministry as the sacrifice for humanity, he ascended into heaven and he appeared before God in behalf of us. And that's what Christ has done. He's entered into to, to the heavens in, in our behalf and he's appearing before God for us so that we can receive forgiveness, so that we can receive mercy. One of my favorite verses is in the book of Hebrews. And we find in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, it's actually a, more of a passage than just one verse. But it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. This is the simple message of the gospel, but friends, there's something that we often miss, and it's this. We don't realize how much sin hurts. Just think about that for a second. We don't realize how much sin hurts. You see, and I'm guilty of this. Sometimes we just sin. We go and confess it to Christ, and then we go on with our life and continue down down doing whatever we want to do or committing sin and sometimes it's we don't want that to be the case right we, we want God to give us victory well, Lord why does this continue to plague my life and I really believe that it's one simple point that I miss and that I believe is a common thing that we forget to do in our day to day and this is simply the point if we turn to Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 it says this I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for the only son and they will weep bitterly over him the bitter weeping of a firstborn okay what's this verse saying first of all in uh, the first line God's giving us a promise we can ask him and pray and Lord help me to seek you right help me to want to bring my supplications to you more Let, help me to want to approach you more but this is the reason so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. What's this talking about? It's talking about the fact that we've pierced Christ with our sins. And when we look upon him, we mourn and we weep. Friends, I want to ask you a simple question. Do you spend time each day looking upon Christ, looking upon what he has done in our behalf, seeing what your sins has, have done to him? Do you spend time looking and just beholding? Because friends, when we do that, and when we seek to do that each day, we realize the significance and the pain that it brings Christ. And it gives us a remorse. It gives us a sorrow for sin in our lives. And if we don't have a sorrow for sin, if we feel like we just keep going back and doing the same thing over and over, it's because we don't realize the value of the sacrifice. We don't spend time at the foot of the cross. Spend time at the foot of the cross. So we had the priest who would take the blood into the holy place and he would sprinkle it there before the veil and before in the, the horns of the golden altar. And this, as we learnt in Leviticus, provided forgiveness. It provided forgiveness. But as we learnt just there in Hebrews chapter 4, we can go to the throne of grace and we can receive forgiveness from Christ. We can receive that mercy. But it also says something else. We can receive grace. Now, friends, we have a misunderstanding of that word of grace. We understand it just to be simply, just simply forgiveness. But grace, there's two sides to the coin of grace. One is the fact that God forgives us when we come to him and confess and forsake our sin. But the other side of the coin to grace is power over sin. 
And so we find this in, in the book of Romans, chapter 6 and verse 14. It says, Therefore, sin no more has dominion over you. Sin no more has, is, sin's not the master over you anymore. Why? Because we are not under the law. We're not under the condemnation of the law, but we are under grace. See, when we are under grace, when we receive God's grace, that sin that was having dominion over us, that was the master over us, friends, we can receive power over that sin. And that's the beautiful thing. Coming to Christ, beholding Him on the cross, seeing what He did in our behalf, seeing the beauty of His forgiveness and the power of His sacrifice, the power of His blood that covers our sin. Friends, it's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. And I need to be beholding it more, that's for sure. Yeah. So Christ, our Savior, provides us forgiveness by bringing before the Father what He has done in our behalf. Beautiful. It's a beautiful thought. But so when the blood was transferred into the sanctuary, it symbolized two things. It symbolized the transferal of our sin into the sanctuary, and that would help us to be covered. And we were covered by that same blood, right? The blood of Jesus Christ covers us, covers our sin, and it takes away our sin. And, and that's a beautiful message, and that's the message of uh, the daily ministration. Now, when we come to the second ministration of the sanctuary, the yearly ministry, this was called the Day of Atonement or the Cleansing of the Sanctuary. Now, you can imagine day after day for a whole year, the accumulation of just the blood itself, it would get quite smelly in the sanctuary, right? Sprinkling that blood every day for a whole year. But it symbolized something. It symbolized the accumulation of the sins of Israel or the sins of God's people into the sanctuary. It would start to build up. And the Day of Atonement, as we have often heard, it just simply means the Day of At-One-Ment, where the sanctuary is cleansed from its sin and God and His people experience that, that oneness, so to speak. So what would happen here is there would be two goats presented, and you can read about this in Leviticus chapter 16. Before we go into this, the, the simple message here is that, again, it's, it's about Christ's ministry. And so through Christ's ministry, when we confess our sin to him, accepting his sacrifices, he provides forgiveness by his blood and transfers our sins to the sanctuary. We just, we covered that a second ago. But this is a beautiful thing about the Day of Atonement. God doesn't just want our sins to be covered, but he wants them to be blotted out. He wants them to be removed and this is the message of the Day of Atonement. So two goats were presented. There would be one which was the Lord's goat, and there would be a, a second goat which was the goat of Azazel, which represented Satan. And the Lord's goat was killed. The blood was carried into uh, the most holy place. So the high priest would go into the most holy place and sprinkle it over the mercy seat, symbolically over the law which was broken, transgressed by God's people. And uh, the priest would touch the blood on the horns of the golden altar and the brazen altar. And this would signify the cleansing of the sanctuary. Right? The sanctuary would now be clean. And then what would happen is the high priest would then come out to the second goat and he would confess on the second goat the sins of of the sanctuary everything that was in the sanctuary would be taken out and confessed on this goat and then there would be an appointed man who would take this goat out into the wilderness where it would die there this ministry would happen yearly but the beautiful thing about christ's ministry is that it's once and for all so for instance christ's sacrifice according to hebrews 10 10 it's once and for all his ministry in the holy place for mercy and grace right it's once for all and his ministry in the most holy place for the blotting out of sin and for judgment. It's once for all, again. And this is a question that, that may have come about because you see this kind of progression, the sacrifice, the sins taken into the holy place and the ministration there, and then the ministry of the most holy place. And 
as Adventists, the understanding that we find in Scripture that is scriptural and that is Bible-based is that Christ did the ministry in the courtyard, right, as the Lamb of God when he was on earth. And then when he went ascended to heaven, he did the ministry of the high priest, um, of the priest in the holy place. And he was ministering there, covering our sins for forgiveness and giving us power um, by his grace. But now, um, according to Daniel chapter 8 and verse 14, under 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed, right? This is pointing to that day of atonement, um, which found this prophecy finds its fulfillment in the year 1844. And so since that time, what we have is this period of cleansing the sanctuary, this period of judgment, this period of God removed the sins from the sanctuary. And sometimes we ask the question, why didn't, why doesn't God just blot out the sins straight away? Why does he cover them and then blot them out in the day of time? And maybe that's something new to you. Maybe you haven't quite understood that. But the sins, when they would go into the sanctuary, were covered by the blood of Christ when we would, when we would confess and forsake our sin. They only get blotted out in the period of the cleansing of the sanctuary or the day of atonement. And this is the reason why. So God has given us the power of choice. He respects our exercise of this choice, right? And so if we choose to leave our sins in the sanctuary, if we choose to confess and forsake our sin through the substitute of Jesus Christ, Jesus will blot them out in the closing work of the judgment. That's what he does in the cleansing of the sanctuary, if we leave our sins in the sanctuary. But on the other hand, if we wish to return to a life of sin, God will not force us to that to be prevented. He doesn't force the prevention of that. These sins we have given up we can actually take again if we choose. So if we ask forgiveness from Christ and our sins go into the sanctuary and yet we return to a life of sin and don't continue in, in God's grace and in his mercy, that sin will be on our heads. It won't actually be in the sanctuary because we've taken it back upon ourselves. And there's this time where God allows us to exercise our freedom of choice. Will we choose to, through Christ, have our sins transferred to the sanctuary by his blood and, and us, through, through Christ, may we be clean, right? Yeah, it's ultimately our choice there. But I want you to turn with me to the book of Malachi. Now, Malachi chapter 3 shows us something interesting. Sometimes when we think of the Day of Atonement or the cleansing of the sanctuary, we just think of it some, as something that God's doing in heaven and doesn't really have much significant to us, significance to us now. But there's huge significance. And, and I, I find it here in Malachi chapter 3 verses 1 to, to 3. And I'd invite you to read along with me. It says this, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord who you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller soap. Okay, let's just pause there for a second. This is what it says here in Scripture. In verse 2, it says, Who can endure the day, of, the day of his coming? This is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. But right before that, it says that his messenger will come to his temple. So there's a work that's going to take place in the temple before Jesus comes back. And this is the work of the cleansing of the sanctuary. And this is verse 3. This is the work that he will do. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. What we find here is this simple message. Christ is doing a work of judgment and cleansing the sanctuary above. But the work that parallels with that on earth is not only a cleansed sanctuary in heaven, but the cleansed people on earth, right? There's a cleaning process that God is doing and he's wanting to refine his people. He's wanting to clean them. At the close of the day of atonement, 
Christ will have a clean sanctuary and he will have a clean people. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9 and verse 26, the last part of this verse, it says, He has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Through the sacrifice of Christ, he covers our sin by his own blood. He takes it away and he puts it in the sanctuary and he covers it. But ultimately, through the ministration of the sanctuary and the day of atonement, we're told that he will put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is not just a covering. This is a putting away. This is a blotting out of sin. But friends, the, the sanctuary ministry will not run on forever. And this is an important point to remember as we're coming to a close here. Let's read this verse. It's in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 to 27. It says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Interesting. This is the work that Christ wants to do. It's a work of sanctification. It's a work of purifying his people, as we read in Malachi. It's unfortunate because people don't want to let Christ clean them. People don't want that. And this is the interesting thing because, and this is really what I, I kind of just want to pull together, this simple message and the simple point that I wanted to make. And it's this, the problem with the old covenant was that many missed the significance and the meaning of the lamb. They missed it. You see, what they started doing is you know, if they wanted to sin, if they wanted to sin bad enough, they would think to themselves, well, I can take a lamb. And it almost became this practice of, yeah, I'll sin and, and I'll just pay for it with one of the lambs that I have in, in my yard. You know what I mean? Terrible. And just totally missed the significance of the lamb. And they were just continually doing this. But I want to ask us the question, is this what we're doing today? Are we just thinking that, man, I can just sin. I can go on. I can sin and sin and sin. And then I'll just go to Christ and ask forgiveness. And it, what it resembles, because it resembles the fact that this mentality that's going on through the world, which comes straight from the beast, straight from the first beast of Revelation 13. It's this idea that we can just, in a sense, come to a confessional recite our sins and then hear it said to us that the, the priest says I absolve you and then we do some penances and then we're good to do it all over again this is crazy and this is a terrible way of thinking but friends Christ's ministry in the heavenly sanctuary will not go on forever I want to share a Bible verse which it makes it so clear what the purpose of the new covenant sanctuary is and this is it here it's in Hebrews and we're going to read chapter 10 verses 4 to 9 this is what it says. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no... God just doesn't... He doesn't take pleasure in the fact that we can just sin and then offer up a, a sacrifice and think, offer up a lamb, so to speak, and we think it's all good. And we do this to Christ, and it's like slapping Christ in the face. That's what we do when we think we can just go on and sin and not worry about um, the fact that it has hurt God so much. And this is what it says here, verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. Okay, pause. What's the focus here? Okay, well, there's been this mentality of whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, which God hasn't desired because we've just willy-nilly given them. But 
we've missed the point. We've missed the point of what the sanctuary is all about. It's not just a, a place where we can come and just receive forgiveness and that's it. Forgiveness is a powerful thing, but sometimes we abuse it. And this is the reason why we, we can't abuse it. We, we have to listen to what scripture says. Let's read verse nine again. Then he said, behold, I've come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. What's the significance of this verse? The establishment of the second or the new covenant was for this reason, so that God's people could learn to do his will. It wasn't a matter of just using sacrifices willy-nilly to, to just suffice a life of sin, but what it was is so that through the sacrifice of Christ and through his forgiveness and through his grace and through the cleansing work that he does in us by the power of his Holy Spirit, we may learn to do his will, friends. That's what it is. This is the message of the sanctuary. God is wanting to dwell with us, but in order to dwell with us, he has to remove sin. And so at the closing work of the sanctuary above, of the cleansing of the sanctuary, of the day of atonement, of the judgment, when we have confessed our sins and they have been transferred into the sanctuary, we have come to Christ. We have realized how much it hurt Christ. And we have mourned, so to speak, for the sacrifice of Christ and what it has done to him. We've mourned for that and we've received mercy and his grace for a transformation of life through communion with Christ. Go and read John chapter 15. This is the idea of abiding with Christ, having this connection with him where our lives are transformed. We're born again in this day of atonement when Jesus is cleansing the sanctuary. He is in the most holy place. He is cleansing the sanctuary in heaven and he will have a cleansed people on earth. They will be clean. They will be purified, not by their own might, not by their own power, but by the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They will have learnt, as it says here in Hebrews chapter 10, to do God's will. They haven't tried to just do sacrifices, just for Saul, when he didn't completely obey God. You can read this in 1 Samuel chapter 15. He didn't, he could, he didn't completely obey what God was wanting him to do. And he thought that with those, that oxen, with that, those lambs, he could just offer a sacrifice. But Samuel says to him, what do you, what do you think you're doing, man? You think you can just offer sacrifices and it'll be all okay? You've missed the point. Because obedience is better than sacrifice. And friends, this is the point of the blood of Christ. It is powerful to bring forgiveness. Yes, to bring mercy, but to bring grace so that we can be obedient to him and to follow him wherever he goes. One last verse as we close. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 1. It says, Then I looked and beheld the Lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000, having the Father's name written in their foreheads. The Father's name, according to Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 and 6, is his character. And what we find here is a people who have seen the significance of the Lamb. They have been daily casting their eyes to the Lamb, which takes away the sin of the world. And they have been mourning for their sin. And they realize that in themselves dwell no good thing. It dwells nothing good in themselves. They've realized that and they just cling to Christ. They cling to the foot of the cross and they cling to the Lamb of God. And what has the Lamb of God done as they have done this? As we have friends let us cling to christ let us hold on to him and and what he will do is he will put his spirit in us and he will do a work in us where we will have reproduced in our lives the character of god his righteousness this is what it's talking about in malachi chapter 3 an offering in righteousness our lives will be as though the lives of christ we will be dead we will be crucified our old lives are dead our natures are crucified with christ and through the word of god as it says in peter we can be partakers of the divine nature. We can have our lives represent the life of Christ, not by anything that we do, but by what he has done for us. Friends, study this message. Study 
the message of the sanctuary. Study it in connection with the 2300 days. Study it in connection with the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And this will be the present truth, which is so important for us today. God bless you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that the things are simple that I've shared. I pray that it is understandable. I just know that in my own life, I am in desperate need of this message to be so true for me. And Father, I know that I fall short. And I just pray, Lord, that we can cling to you, that we can turn our eyes upon Christ and just cling to him and just know that he will help us. Father, I pray, do a cleansing work in us and help us to be more like you and less like ourselves. We just ask this in Jesus' name, amen.